Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. The Patronage and Pluralism Forum, 10 Years On, Part 2. On the 10th of April 2012, the Forum for Patronage and Pluralism report was published. And 10 years later, I am looking back to see what sort of success there has been since since this publication was uh, published, where the aim was to diversify our education system from the almost monopoly of denominational control. The report noted that 96% of schools were under uh, denominational patronage and they hoped that the recommendations would reduce this significantly. Ten years later, uh, absolutely, uh, the 96% of schools are no longer denominational. However, the percentage has only gone down to 95. In this uh, part of the episode, I'm going to be looking at the concept of choice um, because this was the first uh, recommendation of the uh, forum and why this was a mistake. I uh, argue that it's a slip at the first hurdle or a fall at the first hurdle. Um, If you haven't listened to the first part, the first part of this uh, series is a little bit of a history lesson about why we are where we are today and why we were where we were 10 years ago and why it hasn't worked. I also explain uh, some uh, myths about the education system. Many people think that the Catholic Church altruistically rescued the government from for, and provided education to the masses. Um, and many people on the other side of the thing look further back to the 1830s and the Stanley letter and talk about its forward thinking by having a non-denominational uh, education system. Anyway, uh, you can listen to that if you wish. Uh, please, uh, while I, I've never really start my podcast by with begging letters, but if you do, um, if you could do, I would really appreciate it if you subscribed uh, to this podcast. Uh, just search for On Shaw's podcast or If I Were the Minister for Education. It will help other people find the podcast more easily. All right, without further ado, let's get on with it and let's talk about choice. Hello, hello, you are welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis speaking. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed the first uh, part of this long episode. Uh, It's going to be at least uh, four parts long and I really want to get into this Forum for Patronage and Pluralism in in as much detail as possible, uh, but hopefully not in a a very boring way. I mean, the report itself is very long. I've read it. It's over 170 pages long. So I hope uh, this series of podcast episodes are going to be a little bit easier to listen to than reading such a long report. Now, for those of you that listen to this podcast regularly, You're not really going to hear anything new in this part of the episode, but I really have to keep banging on the same drum as I always do when it comes to the concept of choice, when it comes to choice in education. People, there just seems to be this perceived truth out there that choice is always a good thing. And in general, choice is a good thing. I absolutely agree with that. Of course, choice is a good thing. Otherwise, we have 
possibly a dictatorship if we can't choose who represents us or even to on a simpler level if we go to a supermarket it's nice to have a choice of bread of fruit of cereals and so on you know we should be able to choose the tv stations we watch we should be able to choose the supermarket we go to we should be able to choose the foods we eat the drinks we drink and the gods we worship or the choice not to follow a deity if we don't want to However, there are times we don't need or have the luxury of choice. For example, at times we don't have the luxury of choice. If I ring the Gardaí, I don't get to choose the Garda that solves my crime that I'm reporting. If I commit a crime, I don't get to choose the judge that imposes her sentence on me. And if I do go to jail, I don't get to choose the jail I'm sent to. Maybe I'm going down a bad analogy comparing schools to going to jail, so maybe let's pick some more positive examples. So for example, if our house goes on fire, I know that's not a very positive example at all, but if our house goes on fire, we don't choose who puts it out. We just call the one number and we get the one service and we don't ask for a Catholic fireman or a Protestant fireman or even a Jewish fireman. If we need our car taxed, we don't get to choose the tax office to do it, we get our local tax office that's what you have to do and the reason for this is because the service no matter where i get it should be equal it doesn't matter where i go or where you go you should receive the same level of service because it is a public service now we seem to think that we should be able to choose schools as if they're commodities and that one might be better um, then the next one, and so on. But the fact of the matter is that every school in the country should supply your child with exactly the same service. And the only thing stopping this is this weird idea that religion has any role to play in that service. I mean, I can't think of a single public service job that works this way. You know, I, I'm sorry, Garda Murphy. I'm now nothing personal now. I'm sorry, Garda. Garda Murphy, I don't want you to solve the crime that I'm reporting. I, I really want to seek Garda, you see, please. So, so why is it okay to say, because obviously that's not okay to say, that, that would be called racism. Now, so why is it okay for people to say, I want a Catholic school, or I want a Church of Ireland school, or even I want an Educate Together school? This was the idea of pluralism in the forum on patronage and pluralism. And let's just pretend for one minute that I'm wrong and the choice is actually completely acceptable and even desirable. Let me journey you, journey with you as to why it simply doesn't work either. So I, let's just say I've made my argument and you're still going, do you know what? No choice is still good. You're not, your point is useless, Simon. You do this every time. Okay, I need to prove myself. So I'm going to prove to you why choice of primary schools is not not, uh, uh, you know, um, is not a good idea. So let's, let's go with it. So you're fully committed to the fact that either choice is paramount or at very least you might think that choice isn't a bad thing, you see. I mean, you might, because uh, that's another option. You know, whenever I'm talking to people, um, you know, some people will argue vehemently in favour of choice. It's a really, really good thing. But some people are apathetic. In fact, I would say the majority of people are apathetic. In fact, you know, the reason for that is because most people do go to their local school and they don't care as long as their child gets minded or taught or whatever. 
But some people will say to me, look, at the end of the day, Simon, what's the harm? What's the harm in choice? Isn't choice a good thing? I mean, isn't choice at least not a bad thing anyway? And believe me, I get asked this a lot. You see, the thing about choice is that if you're offering choice, if you are offering choice, then everyone should have a choice, not just you. And when I say you, I mainly mean those of you that tick the Catholic box in the census. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're religious. It doesn't necessarily even mean you believe in God. But for whatever reason, you tick the Catholic's box in the census. Because in reality, you are the only people that have a choice of school, no matter where you live in Ireland. You're going to have to hear me out here because it's likely that if you're listening to this podcast, that's you. And if it isn't you, you'll know what I mean. Let me ask you a really, really simple question to try and prove this point because you may be going, ah, no way. Think about where you're from in Ireland, just anywhere at all. If you're Irish, this is by the way. So if you're, if you're from Ireland and you're Irish and you're listening to this podcast, as 99% of you will be, when I say, where are you from? I don't mean your county. I actually mean your locality. It could be the street in a city or a tiny little town's end in the back arse of nowhere. Okay, so just tell me, think about it where you're from. Okay, so your first step now. Here's my first step in my challenge. How many Catholic schools are there within five kilometers of that place? Okay, now if you live in a city, you might find your answer could be more than one. It could even be in the dozens. And if you live in the middle of nowhere, you might have one or two schools maybe. Now, that's Catholic schools. I asked you how many of them are Catholic schools. Now let's ask a slightly different question. How many multi-denominational schools are there within five kilometers of your, of your place, of where you're from? No matter where you live, it is almost 100% sure that the answer is not only less than your first answer, but significantly less. In fact, unless you live in a big town or city, the answer is likely to be zero or one. Now let me ask you a third question. Okay, so we have our first question, how many Catholic schools there are in, within five kilometers of your, your hometown, home, home place? How many of them are multi-denominational? So that's probably less. It's most, most likely to be less. And the final question is, how many Sikh schools are there within the five kilometer range of your home place? Now, of course, at this time of recording, your answer will be zero, no matter where you live in Ireland. So let's again ask about choice. A Sikh person has no choice of school, no matter where he lives in Ireland, unless he or she compromises for a multi-denominational school, which may or may not exist within a reasonable distance of his or her house. The only guarantee that he or she has of a school place is in a Catholic school. This is not choice. Choice is when anyone, 
the Sikh child, the atheist child, the orthodox child, no matter where he or she lives, can go to more than one school depending on his or her beliefs. And the reality is that no matter where you live in Ireland, you either have no choice or significantly less choice unless you are a Catholic. Is that fair? I even went to the bother, because if you don't think it's fair, I actually even went to the bother of this. I, I went to the bother of creating a mathematical formula to demonstrate it. So let's just pick two areas of Ireland. Okay, now I, I went through this math. I'm not going to go through a mathematical formula, basically, but it, it basically, it, you can listen back to my episode on scrapping patronage to, to, go through the, to go through the exact details of it. But let's two, I'll pick two of the areas that were there, two opposites in many ways in terms of rural versus urban. So let's look at the data for Leitrim, the whole of the county of Leitrim, and Dublin 6, okay? So let's start with Dublin 6, which could probably describe itself as one of the most diverse, multicultural, and I suppose liberal areas of Ireland, okay? I would think that's fair. I'm from Dublin 6, by the way, just um, just so you know. Um, originally, if someone asked me that question uh, that I asked you, I would have said Dublin 6 um, is my where I'm from. So if you are Catholic, and you want to send your child to a school that respects your religious beliefs, whatever they are, you have a choice of 12 schools in Dublin 6. However, if you are that Sikh family I was talking about, you've only one school, not the multi one school in Dublin 6 that, you, that, that will respect your beliefs. Now, if you move to Leitrim, where every school is under a Christian ethos, if you're a Catholic family, you have a choice of 93% of the schools in the entire county that respect your upbringing fully. That's 36 out of 39 schools in the whole of County Leitrim. If you're Sikh, well, there's none. Some of you might be wondering what the other three schools might be in County Leitrim. Well, they're also a sister of the Catholic school. They would be Church of Ireland or Protestant. Um, so if you um, are a Sikh or a Jew or a Hindu or a Rastafarian or an atheist, in Leitrim, you have no schools whatsoever that will entirely respect your upbringing. As my friend says, choice, they call it. Where the Patronage and Pluralism Forum falls at the very first hurdle is the idea that it's possible to provide a choice of school along religious lines. And it's an impossible dream. This is the problem. We can't live with this, I suppose this, how can I, how can I describe this, naive thought process that Ireland is still a land of Catholics and Protestants roaming the land basically that it's basically in ireland you're either catholic or you're a protestant it's not the case anymore you know uh, three quarters of the country might identify as catholic or protestant and and that's only the ones that tick the census to say that which doesn't actually mean they believe in the um, in the particular religions but even if they did it's still only three quarters of the country there are now over 300 faiths in ireland alone at the last census which was 2016 it is impossible to cater to every faith, even in the most diverse areas of the country. And even if we could, 
even if we could. I mean, do we, obviously, you know, people will say to me, oh, Simon, just so, don't be so silly. We, we have lots of Catholics, we have lots of Protestants, and we just, everyone asks them to go to another school, like, you're, you're silly educated together schools. You know, why can't they all go there, them? Why can't you put those others, you know, the, you know those words, them, others, all those lovely words that the people use. They should all go to the same school, you know. They don't deserve um, like Catholics deserve a school for themselves and Protestants deserve a school for themselves but everybody else do you know what they can all go to one school where they can be taught anything random all that hippie stuff you do and educate together do you know that's what they, they you know you, I hear this I'm not saying anything I haven't heard um, uh, at a conference uh, 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 where teachers uh, hover around giving out to me for my um, for my, my silly beliefs as they, as they would uh, also call it but um even if we could, even if I could have a Sikh school and a Hindu school and an Orthodox school and a Jewish school and a Muslim school and a Catholic school and a Church of Ireland school and a Methodist school and, a, and, a, and an atheist school and an agnostic school and a humanism school all in the same area, which, you know, obviously, is this something we even want? Which leads to my next point, because I still may not have sold my idea to you. Because some people will say to me, it's obvious there isn't going to be 300 schools in every area, but there isn't a need for that. Surely, and here we go again, if there's enough of them, and they always say them, they can have their own school. So essentially, if a couple of hundred Rastafarians set up in Carrick and Shannon after a good stag weekend, and they wanted a Rastafarian school, then so be it. But don't be asking the people of Mohill and Manor Hamilton to be opening up a Rastafarian school. Sure, they wouldn't need it. And of course, the poor Rastafarian family that couldn't afford a house in the, the main town of Carrick and Shannon and went up the road to Mohill. Do they have a choice to drive a 33km round trip every day? Or do they have a choice to suck it up and go to their local Catholic school? Is that the choice? And let's say... The answer to that question was yes, even theoretically, that, you know, you think it's acceptable that they can drive 33 kilometers every day so they can get to the Rastafarian school or they can go to a Catholic school and suck it up. That's choice, isn't it? That's two choices, Simon, one or the other. Do it if you really think this is a choice, even theoretically, let's let me keep going. Do we want our children separated from each other along religious lines? Is this actually something desirable? That the Catholics would go to a Catholic school. Church of Ireland kids go to a Church of Ireland school. Muslim kids go to a Muslim school. Rastafarian kids in Carrick and Shannon go to the Rastafarian school in Carrick and Shannon. By the way, that school doesn't exist in case your Rastafarian listening to this and go, oh, I didn't know there was a Rastafarian school in Carrick and Shannon. Let's pack our bags and go to Carrick and Shannon so I can find a school <laughs> that respects our beliefs. Here we were all sucking up this madness. Um, no, don't go to Carrick and Shannon for Rastafarian school. It does not exist. Um, anyway, think about, it. is this something desirable? Is it healthy? to have an education system where Catholic kids go to Catholic schools and get taught how to be Catholics and never learn anything about other religions. And at the same time, Muslim kids go to Muslim schools and play with Muslim kids and never learn anything outside Islam. And while in another school, the Jewish kids do the same and so on and so forth. What do we think is going to happen in this context? What do you think is going to happen? if we separate children along religious lines. And interestingly, we already have evidence of that. 
We do. We already have evidence of it. Maybe on a very small level, but we certainly do. And let me let me get into it. Because I want to ask you a question. Where do you think most Jews live? We're in Ireland. Where do you think most Jews live in Ireland? And the answer to that is they live near to the Jewish school um, in Dublin 6. Now, some of you might go, that's a really, <laughs> where are you going with this, Simon? Yeah, this, this, I don't think you're going to get anywhere with this one. And you're probably right, because using the leafy suburbs of Dublin isn't gar- going to garter, garner any favour for my argument about potential ghettoization. Yes, the ghetto of Dublin 6, where I came from. Yes, I know, I get it. I'm not, I'm not naive enough. But if you go back 150 years in Ireland, where did most Jews live then? Well, let me bring you, and again, <laughs> this isn't a great example in today's context, but 150 years ago, it was a brilliant, it was a brilliant context because it wasn't, um, it wasn't the centre of hipster uh, Ireland at the time. But let me bring you back 150 years ago to Portobello in Dublin 8, well before it became the centre of coffee and smashed avocado. But it was a Jewish ghetto um, where poor Jewish migrants lived. Um, it, it, interestingly enough, before it became the, the smashed avocado capital and sourdough capital of Ireland, it also uh, well, became, after the Jewish people moved out to the suburbs, um, a Muslim area, um, and, uh, and, and, and you would have seen this sort of ghetto uh, of sorts. It wasn't ghetto in the negative sense, um, but it can be a risky thing. Ghettoization can be a risky thing because it doesn't always end well. Yes, it's very tempting for people of the same faith to, uh, you know, to, to form communities in particular areas. And we've seen that and we see this always. And we know this, um, that it's quite normal that if, if Irish people, uh, when the Irish people went to England, they usually ended up in the East End of London, places like Essex and places like that. They went to Birmingham or Coventry. Um, we know that when they ended up in Boston in America. Yeah, we get all that. But there is a risk when that doesn't go right, where you can form um, problems with ghettos. And, and, and we can see this in Europe. Um, for example, Saint-Denis in Paris or Melenbeek, uh, and I could be mispronouncing Melenbeek in Brussels. And a recent study, and, and the reason for this um, is these areas be, um, are, can become quite poor and in poverty, and this can lead to radicalization of people living in these areas easily, more easily radicalized because of the poverty and because they can be angry at the power. And a recent study showed that Molenbeek, if I've pronounced that correctly, was the major source of Europeans who joined ISIS in Iraq and Syria. And I know some of you might say that would never happen here. But the question I'd ask back to you is, why wouldn't it happen here? Why wouldn't it happen here? And madly enough, we don't even have to look as far as France or Belgium to see what segregating children by the religion can do, or segregating people by the religion to do. All we need to do is look to our neighbours up north in Northern Ireland, where Catholics and Protestants have been systematically segregated for decades. Do I need to labour that point? Do I need to go on? As I said, when it comes to education, choice, even if it exists, even if it exists, isn't a good thing. Certainly not along religious lines. When a plan falls so spectacularly at the very first hurdle, as I've argued it did, 
It's hard to fathom how nobody seemed to notice this was ever going to be a problem. How did nobody say to the form and patronage pluralism people, what are you thinking? What, why, why are you saying that choice is a good thing? This is what's going to happen. I mean, I've explained it in the last, I don't know, 25 minutes or so about what happens when we give choice along religious grounds. Why would you do this? Well, I, I don't know the reason, but I'm going to give it a good guess. And I'm going to claim the reason for the spectacular failure wasn't even surprising. I'm not surprised that they went for choice. And I'm going to make a leap here and I'm going to say, and it's nothing personal, but I didn't think it was surprising given the authors of the report. There, I said it. <laughs> it's not a criticism per se. It simply is what it is. Because we have to remember that even in the deepest, deepest research, by the best of the best of researchers, the internal bias of the authors has an impact on the report, however unconscious that bias might be. And I'm not picking on them because it seems nobody involved in this form, and it wasn't just the three authors. This went through a lot of people, a huge number of people. Not Obviously, nobody gave this even a cursory line of thought. I find it amazing that even 10 years later, most people haven't realised the flawed logic of trying to give choice to everyone. But when you have a completely homogenous group of people writing a report on the role of religion in schools, it's not surprising that they are colourblind or culture-blind or ethnic, ethnicity-blind. Given the makeup of our profession, this continues to today. I mean, I'll give you an example. Ten years since this report. Recently, and at this time of the recording, in 2022, there was a grand announcement of the makeup of the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment. You'd know it as the NCCA. They write the curriculum. And there were 25 people announced as members of this council. And they are the people who will be in charge of one of the most important things in the education system, and that is the curriculum and how it's going to be delivered. The curriculum, central to any education system, is your curriculum. It's absolutely central to everything that happens in schools. It goes well beyond the academics of English, maths, Irish and the various subjects. This council will oversee what sometimes is known as the softer subjects, the ethics and the values of this world. You know the topics that are shoehorned into the 30 minutes of SPHE in this current curriculum. You know, your web safeties, your RSE, your walk halls, all those sort of stuff. And one thing that the Irish national curriculum needs more than ever before in 2022, because it hasn't before, is recognition of diversity. Now, I'm sure you can guess how many of the people on this council, of the 25 people on this council, are from ethnic minorities. And this will have an impact in the same way that not having ethnic minorities on the forum for patronage and pluralism ensured that there was a complete blindness to obvious problems, such as why they didn't notice why you simply cannot provide a sufficiently diverse number and range of primary schools catering for all religions and none. I'm quoting that last bit. Because it simply can't be done. The NCCA Council now, for example, aren't going to do anything about the fact that the very excellent ERBE curriculum that was uh, attempted to be brought in will be quietly retired 
and absorbed into SPHE or whatever SPHE is going to be called in the new curriculum to allow and only to allow the religious institutions who battled so hard against the ERBE to continue to indoctrinate children into the faith groups. And they, and, and, and they will see no harm in that. They will see no harm in it. They, they clearly don't see any harm in it. The 25 of them may feel, you know, even those with a little bit of a flinch for it, the 25 of them will likely feel it will be good enough that religious instruction, which they'll call religious education because that sounds softer, will be reduced by 30 minutes a week and they will call that reform. They might even call it significant reform. They might even call it revolutionary. Make no bones about it, the 2026 curriculum in its current form is moving very little from the 1971 curriculum which allowed religion to permeate throughout the curriculum as we heard in our first part of this episode. There is absolutely nothing stopping the council from insisting that if we have to have religion in schools, that it must be completely separate from the national curriculum, as it was up until 1971. If you remember from, my pre from the previous section in this, up until 1971, sec the, the, the curriculum was divided very much into a secular curriculum and a religious curriculum and that neither of them met. And in 1971, when Rule 68 was uh, basically vivified the entire curriculum through uh, basically joining the two together and allowed um, religion to permeate throughout the entire curriculum, this, um, this rule, Rule 68, was abolished in 2016. So they actually could insist that the 2026 curriculum is completely secular. They can do it legally. But none of them would have thought of this. Guarantee you. I wouldn't say they even know Rule 68 was abolished. They just assume that religion should permeate throughout the school day. But it's abolished. So I don't think any of them have thought of it. Because if they had of, it would have been said by now. And I'm not having a go at them though. It is what it is. Educate Together started off providing faith formation during the school day before they realised it was impossible to provide choice. The community national schools went even further and somehow thought it was a really good idea to segregate children into four groups, Catholic, Protestant, Muslim and this horrendous HBH. And nobody thought this was horrendous. And in fact, they defended it for years until they also copped on in 2019. And now in 2022, Forrest and Petrunica, the Gwale School movement, are going down the same road, creating this new form of Gwale School where they segregate children according to their faith and they're calling it parental choice rather than segregation or apartheid or institutionalised racism. You can pick the word you want. Because that's really what this concept of choice is. The only people with choice are white, Irish Christians, who actually have choice. Choice is a privilege and it's only offered to them. Everyone else can have one option if they're lucky. Otherwise, if they're not lucky, they should be sitting there like good little boys and girls and wait for the nice white people to give them a school. The form of patronage and pluralism identified 47 areas where this would happen. And 10 years later, the nice white people have generously offered up very few of those. 
So there you have it, um, the end of uh, the second part of this episode where I talk about choice. Oh, choice is not a good thing when it comes to schools. I mean, I don't know how many ways I can do that. I mean, I managed to speak for half an hour based on choice. And uh, I even got a bit of a dig in at the new curriculum, which was uh, which I'm fairly impressed with myself about. Anyway, if you have enjoyed uh, this second part of this episode and um, maybe the first part too, uh, maybe you'll tune into the third part, which will be coming up very soon, where I'll be talking about um, more about this patronage and uh, pluralism forum and um, some of the issues around divestment. We'll be talking about divestment and why it didn't happen. Um, you can uh, to get that um, to get the next episode straight to your email or your inbox or your podcasting app as soon as it's been uploaded all you need to do is subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you use whether that's apple podcast google podcast spotify and all the rest of them please subscribe please review as it helps other people to find it it's great uh, i'm hearing loads and loads of feedback uh, recently uh, from uh, people and um it's it's just uh, really really heartening to hear it and um i thank you for that um Okay, uh, I think that is it for now. Uh, thanks for listening to this part. Uh, you now have the choice uh, to listen to the bitter end or you can switch off now. And uh, thanks, uh, though, for listening. And we'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.